This is Steve Taylor for the Rear Grandy Guardian and RGB Public Radio 88FM. Welcome to the latest podcast in our series. I'm so pleased today to be bringing to the airwaves Mr. Hollis Rutledge of Hollis Rutledge and Associates Incorporated. Hollis, great to see you again. Same here, Steve. Always great to see you. Great. Now, it's a special occasion for us, a special occasion for you, because it's been a rather somber week for you. Uh, The subject today is Bush 41, President George H.W. Bush, uh, our 41st president, because you knew him and his family very well uh, because you worked for him. So my first question is, I know that in the 1980 primary for the Republican Party, it was, it was Reagan versus Bush. Back in those days, were you a Reagan guy or a Bush guy? I was a Bush guy. All the way through? All the way through. Okay. Your first, um, your first meeting with um, Bush 41? Probably the U.S. Senate race in 1970. He wow. had he had he had already run once before in 1964 against Senator Ralph Yarbrough, the sitting incumbent, and was probably the most uh, effective Republican candidate at that time. That came very close. Uh, uh, Comparatively speaking, to other Republican because candidates. we've got to remember, back in those days, Texas was a Democratic Demo- stronghold. A stronghold, Democratic. The entire South was right, uh, and and uh, Texas, no exception. Uh, so there was a decision made that he should run again. How long had he been in Texas by this point? Because we remember he came from the Northeast originally. I'm, I'm not sure, but it was probably in the early. Uh, uh, 60s that he showed up in uh, in Midland, Texas, to form Sapata Oil and Drilling Company, and uh, then he, um, of course, he had served in, in Congress uh, before, uh, uh, and then ran for the U.S. Senate again S- in 1970. Served in Congress for a district in Houston. In Houston, correct, uh, for I think two terms. Right. And, at, and then he ran again for the second time for the U.S. Senate, thinking that Ralph Yarbrough would be the nominee, and he was not. Lloyd Benson defeated the incumbent, Ralph Yarbrough, and then became the nominee. Benson became the nominee, and so all of a sudden we've got uh, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush facing Lloyd Benson for the U.S. Senate. And that's interesting. I, you were telling me about this a few days ago, so I did a bit of research. I found a Washington Post story from the time. They said that Benson tried to portray Bush as being liberal, that Benson was the conservative in the race. Is that your recollection? Uh, something along those lines. Uh, they were, they were tough, weren't they? The very, Benson camp was really harsh. Very, very much so. And it, and, and, and you you got to, in retrospect, you got to look back that it was the 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 conservative faction of the Democratic Party since there was no Republican Party for the, for for, for all since Reconstruction. Purposes, since Reconstruction. So the conservative party was really the one group within the Democratic Party that actually defeated the incumbent liberal sitting Senator Ralph Yarbrough. Uh, That included uh, uh, Sam Rayburn. That included uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson. That group 
uh, and and uh, John Conley, and so they were part of that that uh, conservative Democratic movement that was very supportive of of Lloyd Benson, who ultimately won the nomination and then faced George Herbert Walker Bush. But it surprised Bush. It surprised you. It su- surprised his campaign team that Benson defeated Yarber in the primary and you had a very different election to to fight. Needless to say, you're right. It was very difficult. What was it like for you personally, given that you're a South Texas born and bred, Benson's from here, I think he was the youngest county judge ever. In in Hidalgo County and in fact from my hometown Mission, Texas. Well, short of being tarred and feathered out of town. (laughs) You were the only one supporting Bush in the city. Practically. (laughs) What was it like? (laughs) Not not a good feeling. (laughs) Not a good feeling, but... Uh, but you were a man of your convictions. You were a Republican through and through. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. And uh, so that was my first time that I had ever encountered a, a meeting and visiting and getting to know George Herbert Walker Bush. And you were on that campaign team. I was in that campaign here locally. I was actually uh, in high school at the time, but that's that was one of my wow. very first campaigns. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So even in high school, you wanted you wanted to play a role. Yes, correct, and I did. And your your uh, first impressions of, of George H. W. Bush? Uh, very honest, very transparent, very much patriotic, uh, very sincere, uh, very humble, uh, and uh, understood how to be a statesman. Uh, understood that there was a difference between politics and governance. And I think that that uh, was a trait that followed him for the rest of his life. At that time, going back to that Benson race, was there any expectation that that Bush could win? Well, from my perspective, uh, it was, uh, we knew it was going to be a very difficult race, simply because... um, uh, it was it was a different type of uh, approach, uh, being that it, we were not facing a liberal Democrat, we were facing a conservative Democrat, and uh, the 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 whole uh, spectrum uh, changed at that point. Mm. What was the uh, percentage? Can you remember? I don't remember. Was but it, it close? No, no, it wasn't no. even close. <laughs> no, I, no, no, I don't know the percentages at this point in my, my from my memory, but uh, it was it was not a close. So Bush had to give up his uh, house seat in order in order to run. I'm not sure if by that time he had left anyway that he had le- he had he had left okay. the, the, the district, but I'm not sure. So what did he do next? He lost twice now for U.S. Senate races. What yes. happened next? Uh, well, then he uh, obviously was very active with the uh, the uh, Nixon administration. Uh, he played a role as uh, chairman of the Republican National Committee. He played a role as an ambassador to the United Nations. And ultimately, he played a role as an envoy to China. Uh, uh, and so that, I think, is why it explains that everyone knows that by the time he ran for the presidency and became president, by far he was the most experienced public official to prepare him for the presidency. So if we fast forward to the 1980 primary, was it, um, was it simply a Reagan versus Bush 
battle, or were there other candidates in there? I've, I probably recall there were a, a few, not very many, as, as, as there are today, or have we, we've experienced uh, over the last uh, two presidential cycles. Uh, but for all practical purposes, uh, it was uh, a Reagan-Bush uh, situation. Now, now, by that stage, had you been to a national convention? I had not. Okay. Uh, it, this, this actually uh, occurred at the time uh, when, after we had lost the nomination uh, to Reagan, that uh, fate would, 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 would follow, that uh, Reagan decided to uh, tap George Herbert Walker Bush as his running mate, and I think that was a, an extremely uh, uh, smart decision on, on the part of Ronald Reagan. Uh, and and uh, consequently, uh, from that point on, uh, that allowed me to to propel my my wings a little bit and and participate in uh, national politics as well as attend every single Republican national convention since then. Ever since, yeah. So we all know that um, President Reagan was called the great communicator. What did Bush bring to the ticket? What were his special qualities that made him a great VP? First of all, his loyalty to President Ronald Reagan. There's only one president at a time, and he understood that. And he lent his experience and his background whenever needed, and it was needed quite a bit. Uh, Ronald Reagan was uh, a... uh, man that had strong leadership skills. Uh, case in point, he relied a lot on his team to make ultimate decisions and ultimate intelligent decisions on behalf of the American people because he said it several times. And he did surround himself with extremely very brilliant individuals. Gaspar Weinberger, Ed Meese, uh, Colin Powell, um, uh, uh, Henry Kissinger, and of course, a, a very uh, loyal and experienced Vice President George Herbert Walker Bush. I read uh, recently, with all the all the tributes that have come in, that uh, what clinched it for for Reagan in choosing Bush as his uh, VP was a comment that Barbara Bush made to him, saying, "We will work our socks off. We, you will get 100% loyalty. We will help you all the way." And that was that meant a lot to Reagan and, and tipped the balance. Absolutely, and uh, and it it it, uh, it was evident throughout uh, uh, both uh, terms of uh, President Ronald Reagan. Uh, so much so that at the end, uh, Ronald Reagan, at the end of his uh, uh, limited uh, second term, uh, uh, embraced George Herbert Walker Bush as his predecessor and endorsed him and supported him from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to ask next? So at that point, so that period between 80 and 88, the Reagan years, were you by, by that stage in the government, or did you come, come only when President Bush, was, when, when Bush uh, assumed the presidency? In 1984, uh, right at the end of Ronald Reagan's first term as president, I was nominated by then Senator John Tower uh, and appointed by President Ronald Reagan as my first presidential appointment uh, in the administration of Ronald Reagan 
uh, having been appointed to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And that was my, my first... Uh, what was your title then? I was uh, assistant regional, uh, special assistant to the regional administrator for HUD. Uh, at that time, uh, uh, Dick Udaley, and then on to, to have Sam Mosley be the, the, the regional administrator. Uh, but I served under under the Reagan administration, tail end of his first term and all of his second term. Where did you office out of? Out of Fort Worth and in and out of Washington. How many states did you have to cover? In the case of the regional administrator's office, it was uh, uh, basically five states, the southwest states, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, and New Mexico. And in that work, in that position, did you ever interact with either the president or the VP? I did on occasions, not not as much because I was not a high-level appointee at the time, uh, but certainly uh, uh, did have uh, quite a bit of interaction with uh, the entire team of, his, of Ronald Reagan's administration, including President Ronald Reagan, on several occasions. And through this time, you became a... Um, a fixture in the Republican Party locally, um, eventually rising to the ranks of president of the county association, the state county association of Republican parties, uh, among other titles. Tell, run through some of the positions you've held. On the political end of it, of course, uh, I haven't been involved both in the 1980 presidential campaign of Reagan-Bush and then again gotten involved uh, with the Reagan-Bush team in the 1984 campaign, I believe it was Mondale and Ferraro mm -hmm. uh, for the 80 campaign. Uh, uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, the 1981, the 1980 campaign was uh, Jimmy Carter, Mondale, uh, both of which I was very much involved in on those presidential campaigns. And then ultimately, in 1988, uh, I resigned my position in government as a presidential appointee for Ronald Reagan to uh, head up the uh, Hispanic effort in Texas for the uh, Bush Quail ticket for president against uh, Michael Dukakis and uh, and uh, 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 Lloyd Benson. What was that like? Because the Hispanic vote uh, percentages were not as great back then as they are today in Texas. And um, we all remember um, Democrats, um, Hispanics aligning with Democrats in the, in the Kennedy years. So was that an uphill battle for you, even though Texas was turning Republican? It, it was. It was because Texas at, at, the, at this particular moment was still a, a blue state, a mm -hmm. Democratic state. Uh, it wasn't until the uh, uh, mid to late 90s that that, that that changed dramatically of what it is today, strictly predominant red state. Uh, but the 88 campaign was, uh, was hard fought, uh, no question about it. Uh, yeah, but uh, w there was a very talented individual that I'll never forget, which I met in various occasions, by the name of Lee Atwater. Mm -hmm. And Lee Atwater, uh, literally, uh, I attribute to his genius in, in political affairs that uh, uh, turned the, the campaign to a victorious one uh, for uh, Bush Quayle uh, in 1988. And then, of course, eventually having uh, Ronald Reagan 
there in support of uh, his loyal vice president for eight years was uh, uh, was uh, very very instrumental in in the victory that we we were able to acquire in 1988. So Bush defeats Dukakis, and you get offered another job in the government. Correct. And then uh, uh, soon thereafter, I, I was tapped uh, by President George Herbert Walker Bush with uh, the nomination uh, by our senior senator at the time, John, uh, I mean, um, Phil Graham, Senator Phil Graham, and became the regional administrator for the United States General Services Administration, then becoming uh, the, 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 uh, the regional administrator of that agency. Uh, as a second-term presidential appointee. Tell the listeners what the GSA did and still does. The General Services Administration is a very unique agency in that it is, in in a nutshell, it's a business procurement and real estate arm of the United States federal government. Uh, When it was formed back, I believe Truman formed it, was to try to get more bang for the American tax dollar by consolidating procurements and purchases for all of the other federal agencies in providing goods and services, telecommunication, travel, uh, 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 housing of federal uh, agencies in federal buildings and lease space, as well as providing for transportation uh, vehicles and and the like. So it became the actual uh, procurement center for the rest of the government in trying to get a better deal for uh, for the taxpayer dollar. And how many states were you in charge of then? At that point was 11, from the northern part of uh, the U.S.-Canada border to the U.S.-Mexico border. Okay. I'll, I want to take a detour now. This is a subject you and I have spoken a lot about over the years. Yes. While being the director of GSA, your involvement with Senator Graham and Mayor, or yeah, Mayor, Mayor Fidencio Barrera at the time, landing the Far International Bridge, something that has benefited our region ever since. Well, uh, ha- having said that, uh, yes, part of the, my responsibilities as a, as a, as a GSA regional administrator uh, is to be able to develop, plan, and construct ports of entry, both on the Canadian side and the U.S.-Mexico side as in, the, in this case that we're talking about uh, with FAR. Uh, but prior to that, I had, I had been involved in seven other ports of entry. Um, so you were getting experienced by then? By that time, yes. It was yes. The, the Isleta Zaragoza uh, port of entry, brand new. Uh, the the uh, Te- Santa Teresa land crossing in New Mexico. Uh, the uh, solid bridge to, uh, Solidarity Bridge in Laredo. Uh, to name a few, the Los Indios, Lucio Blanco uh, port of entry that it was non-existent at the time as a new port of entry, and the Los Tomates Veterans Bridge in Brownsville, an in, another new port of entry. All under your watch uh, at the GSA? During that time, yes. And, mm-hmm. and of course, ultimately, the actual development uh, and the funding for a, a, another uh, a port of entry that did not exist at that time in, uh, in 1990, 1991, and that's the FAR Reynosa International Port of Entry. As you know, Fidencio Barrera credits you and Phil Graham for doing all this under the radar. Remembering we had a very powerful mayor in McAllen at the time yes. in Othal Brand, and if he'd have f- found out about it, 
it may not have happened because he had because he had a lot of influence. Yes, yes, he did. You got a presidential permit without anybody knowing about it. Well, actually, what ha what happened there was that there had been uh, a, an appropriations made by Congress in nineteen in the nine, uh, mid uh, late eighties, uh, the Southwest Border Capital Improvement Program, that designated something like three hundred and eighty eight million dollars to be able to expand and improve existing ports of entry and also to add new ports of entry that didn't exist, uh, such as uh, the ones that I mentioned, save except for the one in FAR. FAR was not in the radar screen. FAR was not part of the appropriations plan. What happened was at the end of the day, after all of the bids had been in and awarded, and where we had already awarded the contracts to expand existing and improving existing ports of entry and adding the new ports of entry that I mentioned to you earlier, uh, there was something like $40, $50 million left in the pot, so to speak. And uh, uh, we were able to find that and uh, we were able to coordinate that with uh, the G national office at GSA that handled these projects. And uh, we had to literally have to go back to Congress and talked to Pete Domenici at the time, the chairman of the Finance Committee, as well as the chairman of the Appropriations Committee in the House, which was controlled by the Democrats, Congressman Roy Ball, out of Los Angeles, whose uh, daughter is now the uh, uh, Roy Ball Allard, uh, is now the congresswoman. Um, but at the time, he was the chairman of the Appropriations Committee. We had to have those two individuals agree with Phil Graham, who took the initiative, to be able to convince them to, to reprogram, is the word, that remaining pot of money and designate it to the port of, uh, of, of uh, Afar. And, and then that, be, that became money available to be able to develop the initial stages of what is now the Far Reynosa port of entry. And for those of us that weren't here at the time, those that were got to Texas late, or the Valley Lake, what was the reaction when it became public knowledge that you had got a presidential permit and everything was in place, U.S. Mexico aside, FAR was going to get an international bridge? Actually, the presidential permit had been acquired okay. already. Uh, what was not in play was the designation of the funding for the development. And that's where we, Phil Graham came in and was able to convince these individuals and ultimately Congress, both House and Senate, to reprogram the money and allow for this additional port of entry. Uh, and and that, that became the, the, the effort on, on our part as, as an agency responsible for the development, planning, and construction of ports of entry to, to make sure that it happened once the Congress uh, was able to designate the funding for it. Was it a and surprise? We, and we did. It was. It was a surprise because it was not even in the radar in the first place in the, in the initial budget process. Um, and it was a surprise for many. But uh, to everybody's uh, credit, um, it, it, it has become one of the best uh, uh, successful stories in, in, in our time uh, as the valley started to transform from a predominantly agro agricultural business uh, business to what it is today, and it was only for one reason, and that is because by this time, 
in nine in the uh, in the last uh, years of George Herbert Walker Bush's administration, he literally crafted, he literally put together an agreement uh, that ultimately Bill Clinton signed. But it was it was the brainchild of George Herbert Walker Bush to uh, establish the North American Free Trade Agreement, otherwise known as NAFTA. That piece of legislation, Steve, by, by all accounts as we all know it today, not only transformed South Texas economically forever and changed the, the landscape economically for the entire area forever from a predominantly agro-industry to a diversified economy. And uh, it became the economic engine for the valley. It became the economic engine for Texas and the country. Um, we Yes, there's been lots of tributes to uh, President Bush this last week, obviously. But for South Texas, for the Rio Grande Valley, that's the issue, that's the that of his legacy, that's the issue that you would like to stress and probably hasn't been given enough attention that he was the architect, in, in effect, of that trade agreement from the U.S. perspective. Absolutely, Steve. And without him championing that as president, it may never have happened, and this valley would not have been transformed from a largely agricultural area to increasingly... A, um, um, Diversified economy. An urban area. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's no question about it. That's why I wanted to emphasize that beyond the reasonable doubt, that he was the architect and he made it happen because unlike many other presidents before him, uh, notwithstanding Ronald Reagan because he was a border governor and understood the borders uh, between U.S. and Mexico, uh, President George Herbert Walker Bush knew of Texas. He knew where the valley was. He knew what the valley could be, and that was uh, very significant for us here in the valley. Were you up in San Antonio when those discussions were taking place and that, the, the paperwork was being signed? That is correct. It was, uh, I believe it was 1991, 19, early 1992, before the uh, uh, November uh, presidential elections when, he, when we lost, uh, that, it, that uh, it, the agreement took its initial or formal stage and ultimately became law when uh, Bill Clinton signed it into into uh, effect uh, during the early stages of Clinton's administration. But by far, the architect, beyond a reasonable doubt, was George Herbert Walker Bush. And there's no question about the impact it's had. You're, you're a, re a Valley resident. You remember the times before NAFTA and after NAFTA. So much of the Valley's um, economy and economic conditions, economic well-being, is intertwined with that agreement. Beyond a doubt. No questions about it. Had it not been for NAFTA, we wouldn't be where we are today. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we, we move on to 92, and uh, Clinton defeats Bush. How badly did President Bush take it? Because you usually want two terms when you, when you get elected president. <coughs> it, actually, I think the part of the factor was Ross Perot. Okay. Uh, where he, he, he affected us a lot. Uh, I believe, the sucking sound of yes, jobs leaving the economy. Mo mostly, mostly the, 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 on the political spectrum, 
uh, I believe Ross Perot got uh, their 3.5% or something like that. Bill Clinton won the presidency, but he won it with 47% of the popular vote, uh, keeping in mind that it is the only position in government uh, that is not elected by popular vote. It's elected by Electoral College. Uh, but I think the factor that uh, Ross Perot was the third candidate, I think, uh, affected the campaign considerably. Uh, yes, the economy was uh, uh, somewhat slow, but it was improving. It was, it was already taking place, and it really didn't flourish up until uh, Clinton then became the president, that the effects of that uh, trend of improving the economy took place. But it started at the George Bush's administration. And so, what did you? Um, what contribution did uh, President Bush make? Uh, give what did he provide to this country out of office after his his first that one one and only term expired? I think beyond a reasonable doubt, his civility, his ability to understand as a patriot as a patriot, and as a uh, former military uh, pilot, um, his understanding of governance and his understanding and reverence for the American people in this country. Uh, that was definitely demonstrated when he left the note he did at the White House for Bill Clinton, even though it was a hard-fought campaign. We lost it, but he understood that the people had spoken. And his victory, as far as uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was concerned, uh, the victory of Clinton was um, was to to have make sure that Bill Clinton succeeded because if he succeeded, American would succeed as well. Mm. Obviously, there's been lots of tributes this last week. Everyone focusing on his achievements. There hasn't been too much critical um, um, opinion written, uh, exp exposed. But um, a couple of things I have read. One, that he could have done more uh, to put federal funding into fighting AIDS, the AIDS epidemic, which was starting off uh, at that period, Reagan-Bush period, and also the um, contra um, illegal funding of, of the... Um, Gorillas in 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 South America. I know that happened under Reagan, but where do you where do you come down there in terms of his time as president? Whether he did you know on those two issues that he perhaps could have he shouldn't have done the stuff in in South America, and he could have done more to to fight AIDS. Well, certainly I think that one of the the foremost issues that he had to confront with, and he did quite well, was. Uh, his uh, focus on foreign policy and the protection of our interests around the world. Uh, and, of course, uh, Operation Desert Storm uh, is evident. Uh, and uh, so I think that, needless to say, you know, there's only so much time that you can address in a four-year period as a president because it's a four-year term. Uh, he probably would have had an opportunity to address some of these other issues that are just as important. Uh, had he been given the opportunity for a second term, that was not the case. Uh, uh, but the, for the period that he was there, 
um, he certainly had to focus on the, the important issues of the day, and that was to protect our interests abroad uh, and, and the ther terrorist threat abroad, uh, and he did that quite well. How often did you interact with him afterwards? I mean, did you, visiting the, the presidential um, library, um, going to see him um, at um, 44, the 43rd president, uh, president, his son, President Bush, and he, at his ranch in Crawford. I know we've seen photos of you there with the Bush family. How much interaction did you have with him in these later years? Uh, not as much as I would have uh, wanted to, but uh, keep in mind that as a regional administrator for GSA, we also have, the, the agency has a responsibility in housing all former presidents, including uh, the transition team for incoming presidents. So simultaneously as we were preparing uh, for the transition team that d decided to stay in Little Rock, which was part of my jurisdiction, we were simultaneously uh, trying to get all of the archives stored in College Station until such time as the presidential library would, would be built, which ultimately it was, and be able to lease in the space and the required uh, office operations for a former president in Houston, and we did. That was probably one of my last acts uh, for my former boss. Uh, while at the same time uh, exercising our responsibility to the transition team that decided to stay in Little Rock uh, as they formed their, the new government, while at the same time being able to house our new our, our, our former president, George Herbert Walker Bush. And then within time, I had an occasion to meet with him several times over during the last uh, 10, 15 years, including the uh, occasion there at Crawford in April of 2008 with the rest of the entire family, the Bush family, including uh, George W., who was still serving as president his last years in the presidency. Um, and that was a, a, a very moving moment for, for me, and certainly for all, a lot of us that were there, including Carl Rove, by the way, uh, who was at that occasion at the Crawford Ranch. But uh, uh, it was a very moving uh experience for me, uh, having had the, an opportunity to serve our country and to have the experience that I did had it not been for Ronald Reagan and had it not been for George Herbert Walker Bush. I remember soon after his death was announced, you contacted me and said, he made you, he made you, he, your career, you owe so much to Bush 41. He did. I am what I am today because of George Herbert Walker Bush and the entire family. Mm -hmm. And I'm eternally grateful for that. I mean, who would have thought that somebody from uh, Colonia <laughs> in South Mission uh, be how, able how to have those opportunities to be in the in the, in the how, in, how do you best the, describe it from the from the outhouse to the White House? <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? I mean, you know, in a nutshell, that that says it all. Mm -hmm. Anything else you'd like to say about your former boss in this, you know, may, this week of remembrance? May he rest in peace, and may he be remembered as a, a one of the greatest presidents we have ever had, the most experienced presidents we've ever had, 
very patriotic and above all very humble and uh, and understood again the difference between politics and governance and the respect of others opinions Hollis Rutledge thank you so much for today's interview and your your memories of, of President George Herbert Walker Bush I thank you Steve for this opportunity <laughs>